Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 332. You wouldn't believe how much preparation went into this episode. My name is Caleb Hegg. You wouldn't believe how cold it is outside at my house right now. We're in single digits. I'm Rob Manoff. What up, man? How you doing? You know, you know how my memory works. I'm like kind of a spaz sometimes. I never remember that I'm supposed to say something and then my name. And we've been doing this for seven years. Yeah. Yes, so, we have. And every, every week I wonder what you're going to say. Imagine what my wife has to put up with. <laughs> uh, hey, how's it going, man? It's going very well. I feel like I have it's a- beautiful. It's beautiful outside. We have the <laughs> sunshine, which I love. But boy. It's colder than a, you know what, fill in your favorite. uh, (laughs) I feel like I haven't talked to you in a really long time. Yeah. Everything's just been like, however, we should, we should mention, and this, you know, a lot of people don't 70 degrees in Texas. Thanks a lot, Lee. Um, Nice. uh, We should mention, you know, we've been posting Messiah Matters more videos and we posted one the other day. So it was fun. Yeah, it was a good one. I, I thought that was, they're always fun because they're more loose and spontane, spontaneous, but, you know, I, I thought it was good. The topic was very sobering. There's a, don't get me wrong. We had fun, but we had talked about something that is gut-wrenchingly uh, difficult now, topic, too. Now, now, this is a perfect time to plug. If you want to hear or watch that uh that Messiah Matters More video, it's 19 minutes long, just over 19 minutes long. You can watch that video by becoming a member uh, and supporting this show for as little as $5 a month. That's right, for uh, as little as the price of a mocha from Starbucks. You can, each month, once a month, you can get all of our Messiah Matters More videos. Go to TorahResource.com, and uh, here I'll pull up TorahResource.com for you. Pull up TorahResource, go to TorahResource.com and hover over resources, go down to Messiah Matters, and uh, once you click on that, you can find all the ways to become a member or become a producer, and yeah, that's uh, that's about it. Okay, Um, let's see here. Well, we got lots to talk about. So, uh, and the reason that we have lots to talk about is because people have sent us things to talk about. You can call our comment line, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. We should make a jingle, shouldn't we? That way people will really get it stuck in their heads. Because I had somebody the other day say like, well, what's your comment line again? It was like, 253-465-3205. Anyway, um, you can also send us an e- email, resource.com. It is chag at... Torahresource.com. Thank you. Love is bigger in the chat room. She says it was a great topic that we did in our assignment. Let's dive in. I say let's dive in because we, it sounded like we've got quite a bit. We don't have a ton, but we have a lot of good content. Do we have half a ton? We have half a ton. That's right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So this one, uh, you're going to love this, by the way. And uh, so uh, for those of you who don't know, oh, and. We should note that uh, this show is produced by uh, uh, Torah Resource. It's also produced by Messiah Matters and Rob on the Rock, and which I need to add to our producer credits, by the way. Anyway, with that said, uh, I write, my wife and I write um, for our website, Growing Messiah, and uh, I'm currently writing a series. It's not out yet. And actually, what we've decided to do is we're going to start uh, writing blog series and then sending them in emails, nice. m- emails to people. And then they'll get posted a couple months later. So if you want nice. to see the the series beforehand, uh, you'll be able to sign up on our website shortly uh, for for that. Um, anyway, the series that I'm doing. Your right wife now, is a Kale. I don't know about you. No, you're a good writer, but she Lakeisha is a she's, she's unbelievable. Such a great writer. Yeah, yeah she's she's uh, she needs to write a book. But the point is, is that um, basically, and actually, because I. I know that she's a good writer, and because of that, what I've done is I've started writing my blog posts, and then I will give them to her, and she rewrites them so that they sound way better. <laughs> nice. And so hey, that's te- it's a teamwork. Yeah, and, and so it, 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 she said at some point you're going to win an award for your writing, and <laughs> I was like, that's right. Because, because nice. Of her. Anyway, I like it. So I, de- I decided to start writing a series on uh, what English translation of the Bible, what translation should I read? 
Oh, wow. That's what a topic. I'm glad you guys tackled that one. It's, uh, and actually, so in it, I compare. How many times have we, I, 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 countless times. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Yeah, we've been asked that. But uh, so what I did was I, I d- described the three different kinds of translation that, uh, that people use, the different forms of translation that people use. And then I go and I look at the ESV, the NIV, and well, that and the uh, and the Message Bible, and uh, yeah, and uh, it's I like the way I like how just your like you pause, like you were hesitant to even say it. Well, remiss, yeah, and, but, but, but it is a that's a super paraphrase. Yeah, every once that's in a, a paraphrase while, on steroids. Every once in a while, I've thought, and I, I'm probably in the series at some point. I'm going to throw in some of the Tree of Life version, and that's actually what this next comment is about. Mister C writes in. And, uh, you know, the Tree of Life version gets some things really right. I don't want to just down the Tree of Life version. I know a lot of people use it. However, and and one of the things that we look for in a good translation has that it's been checked off the box, which is that it was actually translated by a committee of people. It wasn't just one person. So check box there. Well, uh, I think my understanding, because I... I know I've had dinner a couple times with one of the translators. Um, and I, my understanding was that individual books were assigned to, individual to individuals. People. And then there was a person who oversaw yeah, the editing. all of it. Yeah. So I, but, but what I, I just to clarify, I don't know that they had multiple people on one book. Yes. Could be wrong. I think you're right. And so it's still not, that's not what we're looking for when we're looking for a translation. What we want is a committee, right? You want a committee that's going to argue. Look, if you have one person who is is translating a Bible, there, I mean, you're going to have bias no matter what. There is going to be bias in a translation no matter what. However, if you have one person translating, there's going to be a ton more bias than if you have 50 scholars in a room who are all from different denominations sitting down and saying, I think it should be translated this way. No, it should be translated this way. So, I mean, there, that's why we say there should be a committee. Anyway, with that said, and there, is there exception to the rules in my, my post that will be that is forthcoming on uh, Growing a Messiah? I say, yes, of course, there has been uh, exceptions in the uh in in the uh in history for instance Tyndale uh Tyndale did a single person translation uh, he revolutionized bible translation because of what he did even then i uh, even then his his uh translation is still flawed though uh in in ways uh Deanne Dreyer asks what about the scriptures version run run away run away fast okay uh, Mr. C writes in and says, I have a question concerning the word that is used in the Bible version I am currently using. The version is the Holy Scriptures slash Tree of Life version. So, um, yeah, the Holy Scriptures. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that this Holy or the, the Scriptures and the uh, Tree of Life version was different. Is he saying the they, whole the holy scriptures? There's one. There's the blue book that just right. says the scriptures. Yeah, and that and that one they've taken. If I remember right, every time you have the tetragrammaton, yeah, or the name Yeshua, they put it in like Hebrew or Paleo Hebrew or something, and they don't translate it. It's kind of it, it's kind of interesting. Um, not my choice for for yeah. a Bible at all. I mean, like if I had twenty Bibles to look at, that would not even be one of them. Yeah, so, I'm with you on that. Um, Love is bigger. Asks, what about CSB? We were sent the CSB by That's Stern, right? I believe so. Yeah. Can, no wait. Oh, no, sorry, no, no. You're no. thinking. You're thinking J, JPS. I'm thinking CJB, Complete Jewish. Bible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, the, what's the one? Tell me the one you're talking about. CSB? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, CSB Contemporary Standard or something. Uh, yeah. Spell it out for us. Love is bigger. We'll talk about it because actually the one that I'm thinking about is the one that we got at SBL. They handed it out to a, like it was at the booth and we all got these different. Uh, they were really nice Bibles. I actually gave one. I, I gave my copy away. It was. I uh, remember that so vaguely. We looked at there's it. The whole, there's one called the Holman Christian Standard. Yes. And then I think they they just took the name Holman off. So it could be the Christian Standard Bible. That's what I think CSB is. Okay. If, that, if that's the same as the Holman... That would be one of the 20 I'd look at. Same I, here. I, 
Yeah, yeah. That I, would be one of the 20. Yeah, I'm putting or that, even one of the 10, maybe. Yeah, I'd put it in top 10 that I would Good. look at. I, I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah, it, Christian Standard Bible. Yeah, so yeah. the CSB, that's what I was thinking about, and that's what they gave us. And I remember, see, that the, what, why I remember that one specifically, Caleb, is your dad did a paper at either SBL or ETS a couple of years ago on the Korea, on the low below, like yep. is it yep. the, that scribal tradition? Yeah, great. And I remember great. he had a chart and that's available online. You can find it. I, Caleb or Michael would know where exactly to find it in terms of what the title is, but it, it's available, Tim's paper, but you don't even have to read the whole paper. He's just got a chart at the end that has all the different translations, all the different verses and how they rendered it. And I remember thinking the Holman had, did a pretty good job in all those cases over against like the NIV, where the NIV was more uh, shift into a paraphrastic kind of mode. The Holman, if I remember right, seemed to be pretty spot on yeah, all the and way I, through. For those who don't know, and, and honestly, I'm just going to I'm just going to tell everybody to go read my article once it's out, which is probably in, in a week or two. But a dynamic equivalency is what the is what the NIV is. It's not a it's not a literal translation. It's a dynamic equivalency, and so you can read about. It sure it. is easy to read. So <clears throat> oh, yeah. you got that going for. So here's, <laughs> but ease to reading, is not what God was going for when He revealed His Word. Right. Right. I mean, it it needs to challenge us. We're we're supposed to pause and 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 wrestle with it. And so if if it gets to be too easy to read. We might, there might be some theology that's really being taught. Let me tell you something, people, and you know, I, again, another person, I heard another person say, oh, you don't read the Bible, you know, reading the Bible is different than studying the Bible. Okay, fair enough. I, I understand what people mean by that. However, when you sit down in the morning for your morning devotions or sit down at night for your nightly devotions, whatever you do, and you sit down and you just read scripture, inevitably what happens is, at least for me, and maybe it's because I got a small brain, but inevitably what happens is I stop and say, now what in the world does that mean? <laughs> I hear I'm the same. I'm the same way, man. You know, and, and I'm not talking about looking at Greek or Hebrew. I'm looking at an no, English translation I and I say, I have, I got to figure it's, out what but that it's means. True, it's true. Also, it, even if you're reading it in Hebrew or Greek, yeah, of or, course. it's still the same. You yeah. still, you read and then you're like, okay, why? Well, I, I think, you know, it's easy for us, for our brain to just take off into some sort of automation, like automatic mode, right? Yep. And, uh, but devotional time is set apart time with the Lord and right. his word. And that's one of the things we, you know, just like you put away your phone or you put away distractions, we got to watch, you know, be careful how our mind kind of will wander off, even though we're reading. So, so good. That, that's good. We still I haven't like gotten this. to this comment. We still have not okay. gotten into this. Okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, once again, Mr. C writes in, I have a question concerning a word that is used in the Bible version I'm currently using. This version is the Tree of Life version. I think that's what he's using. I've been using this version for a while, and like the way it has changed the wording from most popular versions. I selected this version when I start, started to delve into the Messianic slash Hebrew Roots movement, mainly because of the extra stuff it offers and some of the words it uses. Now, let's stop real quick. TLV, as I've already said, uh, has some really good things in it. And let me give you a for instance. For instance, in uh, Hebrews 9 uh, and in the in other places in Hebrew where, where almost every translation supplies the word covenant, TLV does not. Uh, they, they take a literal translation and they do not supply the word covenant for you. I think that that is correct, and I think that that uh, I think that that's exactly how it should be. And and TLV is one of the only translations that has done that. On the other hand, the TLV has made some egregious errors, and I mean egregious. Uh, Romans five, for instance, is one of them. And check this out. This is another one of them. <laughs> well, this isn't as bad, but they're definitely trying to supply you with Jewish meaning. They're coming at the, the bias. The bias is strong with this one. Um, so the TLV, anyway, he keeps going. He says, I have on order a NASB. Good for you, sir. Wide margin so I can write notes in it more comfortably and was doing some comparisons nice. with it. That's, and that's other what versions. I'm talking about. Yeah, so he was doing comparisons with it and to other versions to this Tree of Life version and see that none of them seem to translate the word below in Ezra the same way, nor even show this as the word used in Hebrew. 
NASB is what I used before this version. Ezra 9.7 is written as this. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. He began his Aliyah from Babylon on the first day of the first month and entered Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month because the good hand of his God was upon him. Yeah. Okay. That's that's hang on, hang on, let's go go on. When I first read this, I picked up my phone and Googled the word and found a definition that basically likened the word to the beginning of a journey or pilgrimage. I think this fits in well with the rest of the narrative through verse 10. But using my phone and the Blue Letter Bible site, I can see no use of this word unless I dig deep and sort of find the same type of meaning. Yeah, they switch from a literal translation here to a paraphrase. And not even a paraphrase. I mean, they have added their own bias into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to begin, and his aliyah is not. That's uh, yeah, paraphrase. It's an it's it's like we don't know what to do with this verse, and so we're just gonna. No, no, no. I don't think that's what it is. I think impose they, a later. But I think they, but, I think they know what to do with this verse. I think what they are saying is we want to make it as Jewish as possible. And so really what he's doing oh, is he's, yeah, he's, okay. coming, he's coming to the land. And in modern Judaism, that's Aliyah. And so he's making Aliyah. Yeah. I mean, this is ridiculous. And it, yeah. it, it, it just shows it shows a bias that is, is unwarranted. It, it really yeah. does. I mean, it's not as bad as Romans. In Romans, what, they changed. What's the Romans one? In Romans, I think it's 5-1, they changed justified to made right. My dad has a whole, my dad has a whole half an hour. <laughs> he, I mean, he really goes off on him on that one. Now, people are going to say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. That is that big of a deal. Justified. Yeah, that is a big deal. Yeah, justified made, made and right. made right are not the same thing. It's not, not at all. Not at all. Made right. Here's the problem of made right, especially if this is a book that is for a Jewish audience. They're going to think in terms of tikkun. Which is the Kabbalistic concept of tikkun olam, which is repairing the world, and which means God is deficient, and and He needs you know good observant Jews to go around keeping all the six hundred thirteen commandments to actually fix the world. So if you're part of a messianic group that uses this phrase tikkun olam, just as a side note, just again, don't don't buy into that. That is that's bad doctrine. creeping in but but to be made right yeah it's not to be justified means we are in messiah and so when the judgment comes we receive the same verdict declared messiah has in his resurrection which is not declared righteous i'm sorry declared not guilty yeah exactly declared not guilty not made right um, Young in the in the uh, in the chat room says I wanted to teach my children to memorize Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine using the TLV, but that verse was not there. The chapter ended at verse twenty eight. This actually is because they take the Hebrew uh, the Hebrew numbering instead of the English oh, oh. So numbering. The, yeah, the same just, verse should be. I don't know what the translation yeah, is, just but go, it, yeah, go it'll to, be twenty nine twenty eight. Good. good yeah, point. yeah. Just oh, well, either, uh, go to thirty. Just keep reading. It should be the next verse. Or it should be down a couple of verses. No, I think I, I think in Hebrew, I can just double check real quick. That's a that's a good point. Uh, I think it's twenty nine twenty eight. Let me just check real quick. Yeah, but okay, so yeah, we uh, so I personally don't use the TLV. I there are people. Oh in yeah, twenty nine twenty eight in Hebrew. Is it twenty eight? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, there are people in my congregation who uh, use the TLV as their main Bible. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, like I said, I think that we need, no matter what, let's just end it with this. No matter what version you are using, you need to be aware that the translators of that version, no matter what version it is, have a bias. And there are going to be places where you need to know that bias. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I don't yeah. care what translation you're using. There. There is something I do like about the TLV. I like what it's called, TLV. Like it sounds like like true love or something like that, which I like that. But oh, that, that that says nothing about anything other than the acronym TLV yeah, and what but, it makes me think. You of. know, sometimes when uh, when people at our congregation read the TLV, I think to myself, wow, they really got that right. 
That's that's correct. Like that is, I like that translation. Um, at, and then other times I think to myself, wait, what? <laughs> what did we just see? What did? What in the world just happened right there? All right, uh, Lee. And that is <laughs> Lee uh, has uh, given us a super chat. Thank you, Lee, for your super chat. I'm going to give you, let's see here. I'm going to give you a Robism. Weights and measures. <laughs> You've been blessed. Uh, okay. Hang on just a second. Let me see here. Why can't I hear that? Ba, ba, ba. Oh, that's why. Okay. Um, let's keep going. Thank you, Lee. Um, we are going to move on to actually Victoria. Well, actually, no. Let's go to Stephanie. Stephanie's first. Uh, Stephanie wrote in, this is a great question, okay? And what about the complete Jewish Bible by David Stern? That one has like Yiddish words in it and everything. I don't want to down people's main translation. It does. It has like, he has the chutzpah, you know, like, and I'm like, I'm going to revert back to my uh, one of three things to look for in a Bible translation. Don't use a Bible translated by a single person. That That's what I would say. Don't use a Bible translated by a single person. Find a Bible that is translated by a committee. And so if we take that standard as one of the must-haves, I put that as number two, I think, in my list, in my forthcoming post, which I've now plugged a bunch of times. Um, I think if we take the, that as a standard that we need to, to uh, work by, uh, for a main Bible translation that we're going to read, then, uh, then obviously, uh, Stearns is not going to cut the mustard. Um, and I don't think I need to say more than that. I don't want to down Mr. Stern and uh, I don't want to, no, down- I think it, it was a good, it was a good thing in the eighties mm-hmm. to kind of stir up, uh, the pot a little bit. Um, but yeah, today it's, yeah, I, it, the, Leave it in the 80s. Right. The 80s called. They want their translation back. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I like the 80s, too. Sorry. I was listening to some 80s music the other day, so. I I, Okay. I feel like we should play more clips. Anyway, okay. Uh, uh, Stephanie writes in. Now, this is going to set us into a... Well, so this is, we now have three uh, topics that all interconnect. And so uh, trying to figure out which one's going to come first is difficult. We're going to start with Stephanie. In reference to your short video on Galatians 3.25, which I clipped, I think, two or three weeks ago, sometimes I feel like a complete novice does no longer being under the curse of the law mean that we are no longer under the curses found in Deuteronomy for not obeying Torah. Although we have access to the blessings listed for obeying, or am I understanding this too simplis- simplistically? Um, okay, so I I wrote Stephanie back a email on this, but I think it's such a good question. What does it mean that we are no longer under law? Or and so uh, Paul shortens under the curse of the law. He shortens it to he just uses shorthand under law, under the law. And so um, when we think, when we hear under the law, we should think under the curse of the law. Um, what does Paul mean by that? And that's the question. Does it mean the curse is found in Deuteronomy? No. The curse is found in Deuteronomy are temporal. Are, are temporal. Now, this goes back to my understanding. We need to set up real quick my understanding of death again. Death is not the end of existence as I see it. Death is... Um, separation from God, and more specifically, covenant separation from God. We are no longer in covenant relationship with God. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it says, on that day you will surely die. They sin, and lo and behold, what happens? It's not that they, they their uh, physical life on this earth ends. No, they are taken out of the gar- garden, and on that day they are taken out of covenant relationship with God. Now, in that time, okay, and this goes back to the idea of uh, covenant of works found in the garden, which the reformers talk about a lot. If you don't know what the covenant of works is, it's pretty simple. Basically, uh, the idea is that Adam and Eve are in covenant relationship with God. 
they will stay in covenant relationship with God unless they do this work. So it's based on works. If they do a work, they are no longer in covenant, specifically eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are no longer in covenant relationship with God. If they don't do that, then they are in covenant relationship with God. They will continue in covenant relationship with God. This is what the Reformers call the covenant of works. Okay, so uh, we hear on the day of it, you will surely die, all these kind of things. So that is the curse of the law. The curse of the law is no longer being in covenant relationship with God. Um, and so the way that I see it is when Paul talks about no longer being under law, that means all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what does that mean? That means that all have sinned and are no longer in covenant relationship with God. And therefore, to be no longer under the curse of the law, what do we have to do? We have to have faith in Christ because Christ came and paid that, that, uh, that price for us. And now he has made the way to come back into covenant relationship with him. So faith in Christ, faith in, in Yeshua is what brings us back into that covenant relationship. And we are no longer under that curse, which is death. That is separation, covenant separation from God. Rob? Yeah, I, I look at that a little differently. Okay. Because uh, we're, ta- we're talking about Romans, mm-hmm. like Romans 7, for example, uh, you know, he talks about that, yeah. that the commandment came and worked death right. in him. But it, but Paul is careful to differentiate. He's saying, well, the Torah is not sin, however, heaven forbid. So uh, the way I understand the curse of the law is more in line with the, with the curses and blessings of Deuteronomy. The idea of that to be under the curse of the law means that the, the consequences of transgression are on you. Which is which is uh, which is the same as the wrath of God. You know that that one stands guilty of transgressing God's expressed law, and the the wages of sin is death, like it says in Paul. In I think that's in Romans, not in Galatians. He doesn't say that specifically. Okay, hang on just a second. Wait, let's let's tease this out a little bit, but. Uh, certainly there are certain commands where if you transgress them, it's not temporal death. For instance, eating unkosher food, right? You don't get the death penalty for eating pork. So it can't be, it, it, so the under the curse of the law doesn't mean that we're under the temporal punishment of the law. So for instance, if a, if a believer uh, uh, murders someone, they still are put to death according to the Torah, whether they believe in Christ or not. Correct. Do you do you mean? I, I guess you mean in, in today's world, like when when like they're tried in a in a human court and anytime you know. after yeah, anytime after after Christ dies. Anytime, well, anytime really, because even Abraham had faith in in the in the Messiah, right? So mm-hmm. the point is, is that someone who's justified through faith in 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 Christ is still is still under the obligation to adhere to the Torah and therefore if they break the Torah temporally they're still under the curse of the law in terms of the punishment of the law if i steal something i still have to give back 20 oh, okay, plus 20% okay well, i think we're maybe we're mis- we're we're mixing our terms a little bit here the the transgressions to be under the curse of the law means that you have you owe a you owe a sin debt. You owe, which is, it, it's not, you know, if someone eats a a dead carcass that died of itself, it doesn't matter if it's a cow or a pig. It doesn't matter. There's a conse- a temporal consequence of impurity. Um, and the person who loves God will respond to pro- one way. The person who doesn't care if there's a God will respond a different way to a situation like that. Um, the same thing with murder, like King David, for example. So he loved God, but he murdered somebody. He loved God, but he committed adultery, and he had a heart of repentance, which which shows that that he truly did love God. And there, there were temporal consequences for David, uh, of course. But 
um, when, when Paul's talking about this, if, if, if what we're talking about is you are no longer under the curse of the law, what it means is we've been brought back into life, into the blessing covenant relationship of, of Yeshua's life. But even when Israel is under the curse of the law, that the, the duration of time while they're under that curse, they are still part of the covenant. If the covenant ceased to exist, there would no longer be under the curse of the law. Because God said, when you transgress, this will happen. When that consequence happens, shows that the covenant endures. Sure. So I, that, I, I, I think that we're pretty pretty close on what we're saying. However, then then the question that I would pose to you, because I, I agree with you. I think I think what we're talking about is the eternal punishment uh, or the pun the uh, non-temporal aspect of the curse of the law, right? Because the Gentiles are, are not under the curse of the law either, right? Well, the, I think they are. Not if they've come to Christ. Oh, oh, right, right. If Gentile believer, it doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile. Right. It doesn't matter what your what your lineage is. If if you are not in Messiah, so, you are under God's wrath. So in in Romans eleven, then when he says that the natural branches will be broken off, what are they broken off from? Yeah, the the blessing. They are they are not abiding in the covenant blessings of the Abrahamic uh, promise. Right. Which, so then, which, are they by faith, which we only have access to through the, through the richness and fatness of that blessing, is by faith. Yeah. So I would agree with you completely on that. And yes, MC and LC say so. Unbelievers are under the curse of the law. Yes, I believe that. I, I hear I, one thing you did point out is about the Garden of Eden and the and um, and the transgression that they. He said, you know, you have all this to eat, just don't eat that. And they went and did that one thing, and there were consequences. And that that is the context for everything that comes next. So I don't, uh, um, I think that is an important point that you brought up earlier. But our today, the way I view it, art where we are on the timeline, I can't just skip the Mosaic Covenant, skip Abrahamic Covenant, and just go shoot right back to the problem of the Garden of Eden. Um, because God didn't just bring blessing into the world right after that. He, he brought blessing into the world exclusively through the Abrahamic covenant, which was exclusively expressed through the Mosaic covenant, which was then exclusively expressed through the coming of, of his only begotten son at the proper time appointed by the father, Yeshua. And, and so our access to that blessing is absolutely through Yeshua but it does. It goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, of course, ultimately. So, so Mr. C, so I, I I feel like I'm on a little bit more of a trajectory with Mr. C and love is bigger. Mr. C says, is not the curse of the law eternal separation from God? Love is bigger says, Curses, curse is, is eternal wrath of Hashem. So what I hear you saying, Rob, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, or or please clarify my, my understanding. Are you suggesting that the curse of the law is the temporal uh, uh, land, land curses and land blessings of the law. It that is part of it. Okay, but yeah, that that is part of it. But the but the question then is if the if the uh, Gentiles don't have land rights temporally until the millennium, which it seems to be in in Torah, then how are they under the curse of the law if they don't have the land in the first place? It, it seems to me because that it has to be Israel- bigger. Well, because in Leviticus, at the end, we learned that even Israel are reckoned as gerim, that yep. God is that God is the landowner, and Israel are residents on His land, and we learned that with the the seven year cycle, the the jubilee cycle. It's because, and and so all of Yeshua's parables about the the landowner who has tenants who come and work the land, that's a picture of God who owns the land and he has tenants. And so those tenants, he tells come for the feast and their duty is to go get other people. And they come to the feast and they bring all sorts of people, whoever they can to join with them, the poor, the marginalized, even the Levites, right? The widows, the orphans, all these, the strangers. 
even to come. And so you have strangers who appreciate their stewardship as strangers and their special office as mediators to bring even more strangers in to the host who actually owns the land and who is the one he is the host of the feast. Well, the story is you have what happens. Well, some of these Gerim, quote, some of these Israelites who live on the land, they think that they they don't think sober-mindedly. They think themselves to be something they're not. Oh, I'm too busy. I've got to go take care of this land that I got, or I got to go check out this new thing I bought. And they're occupied with material things. And in their occupation of material things, they, they say no to the inv invite, which is really the call. Therefore, they say no, that they're not even going to bring any, because if they can't come now, they can't now fulfill their job, which is to bring other people with them. So what does God say? He said, he says, well, then he sends his servants to go out directly, go out to the margins, go out to all those people and bring them in. They're going to get in here one way or another. And then the, those sons of the kingdom, as it were, who were uh, had the privileged place of being the Gerim in the land, that is Israel, the, the original Gerim, those are going to be cast out because they sought to take the inheritance for themselves in some way. So that's the way I understand how Yeshua is teaching us to think about God, God's the inheritance that God has for his children, and then our responsibility, our of, of what good stewardship within God's household looks like. It doesn't mean I take ownership. God is the owner. See, and I, I'm just, I'm the vessel. I, ta I take the curse of the law, or I take the uh, uh, the temporal curses in, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, to be a picture of the of the actual curse of the law. Separation and being cast out of the, of the land is to is to show that we are separated from God, i.e. that the curse of the law is actually not being in covenant relationship with God. Yeah, there's no future. I, that's a, I agree with that. There's, in other words, there's no future. There's no future there. If I mean, are you? Here's a good point on that front. If you just read the curses listed in the end of Deuteronomy, is that it? Is that an exhaustive list? Oh, that's it. No, I think that I think the point is. You read that, or or the same thing in Leviticus, uh, towards the end of Leviticus, who says seven times, it's going to get seven times worse, it's going to get seven times worse. The idea is there's no sustainable future. And what the, what's the opportunity for repentance? The opportunity for repentance is that people would see and recognize and come to their senses and repent and turn back to God. Um yeah, and then that gets on the topic of, of fear of God. You know, how bad does it have to get for some people, some of God's people to actually wake up versus for the wicked, they're so drunk with the things of the world, they don't really care. So uh, Tacitus uh, 16 or 1979 makes an interesting comment, and, and maybe it's only interesting to me, but they say the law is the standard that determines who is cursed or blessed. While I understand what you're saying, at the same time, the I think the reformers are right to say that the, the law is a mirror to show us our own sin. We're all cursed. We're all right, cursed this, because right. we've all it, fallen short of the glory of God. Right. The law does not actively do anything. It just reflects righteousness and wickedness. It's just it's just a so a standard. I like that word. It's it's a standard. It is the express will of God with respect to what is holy, what is good, what is pure, what is love, etc., and what is not. And then what are the what, what is blessing and what is cursing. You know the 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 core the core marching orders we have is to be a blessing. But I can't manufacture a blessing. <laughs> I can't bless something if God hasn't blessed something then for me to sit there and bless it doesn't help. And if God has cursed something, me sitting there and blessing it doesn't help. Remember the whole thing of Balaam, right? Balaam kept going to curse Israel, but it's like he couldn't. No matter what magical curse formula he would try to compose or come up with, you, yeah. can't, you can't curse what God has blessed. And so that's the strength of, that's the shalom of abiding in Yeshua, is, is that 
God is the one who is who says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? Listen to him. So we have... Two, so yeah, to, two, to be two, in the two. curse of the law is then to have the weight of the, the legal uh, weight of the of death, the consequences of sin on your soul, on your shoulders, on your soul. Yeah. So Linda, uh, Lena actually says, so are you saying the curse of the law is not being in covenant with the father? Yes. Or it's in, or it's being under the punishment of the father. Uh, and then actually Pip says, and I, you know, I, I've looked at this comment probably four or five times now, and I don't know, I don't know how much to talk about this. Pip says, I believe that you will find the Messiah is part of Takun Olam. When he returns, he heals the world from all evil. No. No, he's not part of Tikkun Olam. Right. That, and that's what I that, was that getting That Tikkun Olam is not a biblical concept. That is a Kabbalistic concept. That And to try to, to, to say, yeah, I can describe Yeshua in Kabbalistic terms, that's that's playing with strange fire. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tikkun Olam is, is a later rabbinic idea that by the Middle Ages becomes highly charged with Kabbalistic uh, meaning, specifically reincarnation. Right. Because the, the, the thought is no one can keep every commandment in one lifetime. Everybody, so they agree. There's an agreement that all have sinned and fall short. So what do they say? Well, what you what happens is you come back again, and you're given an opportunity. And the the commandments that you kept in the previous lifetime, you've already kept. So you're not obligated. You're but you have to fill them up. And then once you finish, however many lifetimes it takes, once you are able to do all 613, then you your soul is now uh, corrected. You, you have, you have uh, done tikkun on your own soul. Yeah, but Paul asks, what is tikkun olam? You want to take that? Oh, well, it's just, it, it means repair of the world. Right. And so what you see in the more liberal, like Reform Judaism, you know, in more like, uh, what do you call popular Jewish uh, culture, tikkun olam is like, oh, you, you, it's like karma. It's like, oh, right. you know, you do good, you know, pay for the guy's drink behind you at, at the coffee shop. You know, you're, 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 you're repairing just sowing the world. Of, yeah. You're, what you're doing is you're replacing all the ugly things in the world with little good deeds and things like that. And they call that tikkun olam and you, or they'll call it, it's a mitzvah. It's a, but what happens is those things, even that are the use of the word mitzvah, in popular Jewish terms today, it's not a commandment. It's just like a feel-good thing. Right. It's like, oh, it's a mitzvah. <laughs> you know, well, it's, you, it's you did a- all of all of Tikkun Olam, and I've done a, a complete series on Kabbalah. You can find it actually on our YouTube channel. So go down to teachings, and then there's two, a two-part series on Kabbalah. And I talk about all of this. I talk about Tikkun Olam. I talk about the Ein Sof and the and and all this. It ultimately it comes from Eastern. Uh, mysticism and Eastern religions. And basically, Rob's completely right. The idea of reincarnation and the idea of karma all gets transferred in in uh, word to something else. However, ultimately what it is, ultimately what it is, is a, uh, a, a very kind of brilliant way to get rid of the need of Messiah. If I can continue to go through life and continue to get better and better and better through reincarnation and finally reach uh, you know, perfection and go on to become part of the Ain's to, to be brought into the Ain's self, then basically what has happened is I don't need Christ to come and die for my sins. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly, it's like, how do we have the Bible, but reject the gospel at the same time? Exactly. That's, it's, a, it's an imaginative uh, exploration of, of that. And, and that's right. You get the doctrine of reincarnation is, absolutely foundational to the to the real intense Jewish religious. The Hasidic that, just, especially. It's just the way it is. The Hasidic Jews specifically are completely wrapped up in, and I'll, I'll, we'll go one step farther. I know that we're off on a major rabbit trail, but that's fine. Uh, one step farther. 
within within Hasidic Judaism, the reason that the Hasids are the Hasids is because they believe in what's called the Zariq. Each uh, each faction or each sect of Hasidic Judaism has a Zariq. The Zariq, the righteous one, is a person who has reincarnated enough times, and they're one step away from being brought back into the heaven, into the into the Godhead, as it were, um, in perfection. And this is why the Zariq can go in between. Our realm, the I know this sounds weird, but this is actually what they believe. Our realm and the inner the inner courts of the heavenly temple. Now, this is what's interesting about this is all they did, all Judaism did. They just took Yeshua. That's, they just ripped <laughs> off Yeshua, and they said other people can do it too, and and then they incorporated it with, with reincarnation. And so, the, so when you look at uh, all these messianics and all these uh, you know Hebrew rooters and whatnot who are getting. Uh, who are getting really, you know, bedazzled by Hasidic Judaism. Oh, let's all wear black. Let's, you know, wear payout and all this kind of stuff. And I fell into this, by the way. Don't, I'm not trying to say that I'm beyond this. When we see this, what has happened is these people have either not understood or they are willing to give up on the truth of the gospel for a man-made, Satan-made religion. And that's all it, there is to it. It is the occult. I, I, and Caleb and I have known a number of different people who really intensely pursued this kind of lifestyle for a couple of years, and they were like all in. And now, if you look at them where they are now, it just ruined. It didn't age well. <laughs> it, it, it didn't. It showed. It, it's be, you know what it showed? It showed that that the people are all about externals, and they have nothing of a heart relationship with Christ. That's what it showed. And I, I have three people specifically in mind when and I you say know, that. This, to be fair, this isn't just in the messianic arena where this kind of thing can happen. Yeah, right? oh, absolutely. I mean, we, yeah, yeah. So I, we should. <laughs> it's there's nothing special about the messianic I met a, uh, I met movement a, that makes people more. Uh, I met a lady in the in the Philippines, and she was a, 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 a lovely person coming into faith in Christ, just coming into belief, and she was a high up. Buddhist, uh, like transcendental meditation person. And when she was in like, a uh, like, a, uh, her, her story was really incredible, but she had searched and searched and searched and she came to Buddhism. And finally she got into transcendental me- meditation and this spirit came to her and said that it was Jesus. Now, clearly as she's telling us this, this was not Jesus, Right. But she, this actually put her on the path to try to figure out who this Jesus was, and she'd come to Christ through it. And she had just come to Christ. When I met her, she was still wearing her Buddhist robes. Wow. Okay, can I tell the joke? You, everybody probably heard it. Did you hear about the Buddhist oh, no. who went to get his teeth pulled? No. He, he refused medication because he wanted to transcend dental medication. <laughs> Did I butcher it? Did I say it right? Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> he, that's wanted good. To tra- he wanted to transcend dental medication, so he refused uh, Novocaine. Yeah, yeah. Have I told you my son's joke? Oh, let's my, hear it. I love it. My son Ben has a really good joke recently <laughs> that he told to my dad. <laughs> what do you call a preacher in Berlin? A German shepherd. <laughs> he made that up. <laughs> no, That's I awesome. think he said he saw it somewhere, but I thought that was really funny. That All is right, great. Let's keep going. Matt <laughs> from Michigan. I don't know what happened to your picture. I don't have it here on my dashboard, so I can't bring you up. But uh, that's okay. I'm going to play. We do. Matt called in again and he said, I, I don't know if you've been getting my messages or not. I think I've been getting your messages and I think I've been clipping most of them. Um, and if I haven't clipped the most important ones, I apologize. Um, but he wrote in, we're going to listen to one today and we'll listen to one next week. So this is the one that I clipped for today. Caleb, I like the idea and I kind of want you to expand on it of the Abrahamic covenant being the gospel. You know, it's I have never heard that before. I feel like that seems just way too obvious that um, that makes a lot of sense, that that is the gospel. I've always thought, you know, John the Baptist and uh, Yeshua came, and they preached the gospel, and yet nobody knew about the death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't, you know, nobody knew that's what the end was going to be for, for Yeshua there. Hang on just a sec. I think some people did know the end. David certainly did. Abraham certainly did. I understand what Matt's saying, because once we get to the New Testament, the apostolic scriptures, it seems as though the, the apostles have no clue that Christ has to die first. Right? He even says to, uh, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter's like, dude, let's go. Let's go up to Jerusalem. We're going to take over Rome. And he's like, 
no, no, like, no, I'm going to die first. Anyway, so um, to Matt's question, great question. Where yeah, we... I have an important verse on that right off the bat is Romans 15, 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant of the circum- a servant of circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises to the fathers, that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. Anytime you see promise, it's not all the time, it's not across the board, but anytime you see promise at this point in your life, the first thing I want you to think is, is that the Abrahamic promise? What is the, is it talking about the Abrahamic promise? It might not be, but that's the first thing that should come into your head. After reading Acts, I'm convinced that the Abrahamic promise is on the forefront of Paul's mind. He, and as N.T. Wright would say, he's had a, I can't do his accent. He's had a radical reimagining, a re-understanding. He's, uh, you know, it's a radical. He always uses this word. It's a radical. it It was, yeah, he says it beautifully. Yeah. It was radical for Paul because Paul was on a train going the wrong direction, right? And, and he needed that kick, you know, that, as some people say, a good smackdown, you know, on the road to Damascus to get him with the same engine, the same power, the same right. zeal, aiming in the right direction. And so that shift, I think, is what N.T. Wright is talking about, this radical reimagination. Paul really, in fact, just learned to read the scriptures correctly, um, and but it was against the grain of, of what the zealous... Jews were, were imagining it in that day. Um, Mikhail Ben Eliyahu says, so obeying God and keeping his commandments is sin. That doesn't seem to be correct. I don't know what you're talking about. No one said that. I don't even think anyone has said that in the chat room. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you're going to have to be more specific. Let's go to this idea. And and Rob's hit, hit the nail on the head here. Um, back to the idea of the Abrahamic... Uh, promise. So let's start even earlier. Okay. This starts to be hashed out in Genesis 3.15. God says to the snake, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between the your offspring. And this word is seed between your seed and her seed. He, who's he, the seed, he shall bruise your head. That is Satan's head or sin's head. And you shall bruise his heel meaning death, right? Death will, or, you know, will bruise his heel with death. Okay. So this is the promise, right? This is the, this right here could be the, uh, considered the gospel message. Now, later on in Genesis 12, three, and again, in Genesis 22, 18, this idea of the gospel is now hashed out even more because, God says in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors or curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 22, 18, he says, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, so now once we, once Paul has this unbelievable, like he just, all of a sudden it makes so much more sense to him. And if you don't understand why, um, if you don't understand why, uh, this was such a radical re-understanding uh, of the Abrahamic promise is because it, the way that I understand it is that is that Israel did not think the Gentiles could just have faith and and they were in. There was there was a lot that had to be gone through for a Gentile to be considered part of God's people, and you didn't just become part. You didn't just get blessed by God. You became part of. of you became Jewish, essentially. I mean, that's the terms that that Judaism's use today, right? If I want to be Jewish, quote unquote, uh, in modern day, what do they say? Well, you need to convert and become Jewish, right? Well, this is the same kind of thing that might have been going on back then. Um, and when when Paul has this radical re-understanding, it's the fact that Christ is hung on the cross, and now his payment blesses all the nations, by paying the sin debt for Jew and Gentile alike, that Gentiles can become covenant members in the Abrahamic covenant, not through anything else, not through a man-made ritual or anything else except for through faith. And this is what's this is what is mind-blowing to, to not only Paul, but to the apostles in general. And I mean, Acts 15 is a perfect example of this. There, all of a sudden, James gets it, gets it too. 
this word goes out now that the Gentiles are included in the covenant people of God if they only have faith. And so this is why in Galatians 3, 8 through 9, Paul says, as the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So how is it that all the nations of the earth will be blessed? Christ's payment is not just for the Jew. That's the point. Right. The and co- the faith, that that faith that you're talking about, is no different than the faith of Abraham. In other words, you can't you can't still hold on to your worship of Isis or uh, Marduk or Baal or any of these, and then it, it doesn't work that way. It's the new birth is completely all in, right. all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, no different than Abraham. So even though Abraham or, you know, Isaiah the prophet or, you know, Jeremiah the prophet or, you know, any of the people that we read about in Hebrews 11, for example, that live by faith, we're no different than them by being uh, in Messiah. We're, we don't have a different faith. Our faith is, this is the substance of our faith is not different than that of our father Abraham, um, but but this so, but this this also this also trickles down into other things as well, right? Because sure. when when uh, Paul goes out now and does his missionary journeys, and he goes to the Gentiles first, he goes to the Jews, right? So in Ephesus and other places, he goes to the synagogue first, but then they reject it. So in thirteen and in what nineteen, he says, "All right, fine, you're going to reject it. I'll go to the Gentiles," right? He says that in twenty eight as well. Okay, so once this happens. Paul is still focused on the Abrahamic covenant, but since the nations are brought into covenant relationship through Christ, that is, think Abrahamic covenant. Now they are in the Abrahamic covenant through faith. Now the rest of the the rest of the covenants apply to them too. In other words, now they're brought into the to the Mosaic covenant. They're brought into the Davidic covenant. They're and they're brought into the new covenant. So right. that's right along with what I probably you talk about in your commentary on Acts 15. Why does James say Moses is read on every Shabbat? What, why right. is he wasting his breath? No, he's saying that that faith has a trajectory of works that come naturally from it. They don't rep- the works don't become the new identity or even the justification for the new identity. Justification stays and will always be in the walk based on faith. However, God gave us minds and and uh, agency in this world to to work and to to be and to interact with others and to do things. And His Torah is our instruction for right. that. So we actually have another comment that we're gonna we're going to hold off on until next week, and it's by Victoria. It's on Romans two twenty five through twenty nine asking about circumcision and circumcision of the heart. This plays right into our conversation that we had today. So cool. keep that in mind, everyone, and we will uh, we will definitely uh, talk about that next week. Thank you, Victoria. And to everyone who has sent us, <clears throat> sent us uh, comments, and thank you to Matt for calling our comment line. You, too, can call the comment line. You can do so by calling 253-465-3205. It is 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, chegg at torahresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. MCNLC, I have not forgotten your comment or your email that you sent in as well. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, it's your comment. Uh, the comment was on 1 John five seventeen. It's a little bit bigger of a, uh, it, it's not a quick answer. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's something that I need to actually do more research on. I started looking into it, and uh, there is a lot. There is a lot of different commentary on this. And I certainly went first and foremost to my father's commentary, um, which you can find on Torah Resource uh, for the uh, Johannine epistles. Anyway, mm-hmm. all right. Um, yeah, anything else before we uh, take off? <clears throat> Don't. No, I, I, I think it's silly that we told those jokes, but I'm glad we did because I really <laughs> like Ben's joke. So I'm going to remember that one. Yeah, yours was good too. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, let me find my, uh, let's see here. Oh, here we go. All right. Well, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. <laughs>